Welcome to Silverbacks Valley, a podcast brought to you by Silverbacks Holdings. Today in the Valley with Ibrahim Sanya is an African-American media executive, events producer, and entrepreneur who has been instrumental in bringing Black culture and perspectives to mainstream media. He organized events bringing together Black cultures from across the globe before joining BET. There, as the president of event production, he oversaw the production of multiple festivals and award shows. He is now a part of the ownership group of several sport franchises, including the MLB's Washington Nationals, the Washington Castles from the World Team Tennis League, the Washington Spirit of the National Women's Soccer League, and the Cape Town Tigers of the Basketball Africa League. Today, the Valley welcomes Paxton Baker. Disclaimer, this episode expresses the views of the guest at the date of recording and do not represent the views of Silverbacks Holdings. The content of this episode is not intended to be relied upon as investment advice or recommendation, nor should it be considered as a solicitation to adopt an investment strategy. Silverbacks Holdings publishes this podcast for informational purposes only. Welcome to Silverbacks Valley. I'm your host today, and my name is Ibrahim Sanya. This episode is powered by Afrobolers. Afrobolers is the largest digital platform curating stories of African athletes, creating value in sports industry on and off the courts. Afrobolers collaborate frequently with major sports league and with major sport personalities of African descent. It services an audience of over 100,000 of followers. We at Silverbacks Valley are big fans. It's not every day that uh, one gets a chance to just hang out with a legend. First, just grateful to have you here, brother. It's a blessing always to see you. And it is lovely in New York City. I am going to take you back for a second to 1988. Remember, there was a company you incorporated called PKB Arts. Tell us about PKB and what was going on in your mind at that time. So uh, that was that was early on. That was uh, not long after college. I went to Temple University and was there from eighty four to eighty four to eighty seven, and I uh, lived in Atlanta for about a little less than a year right after uh, Temple. And then I moved to Miami and I worked with the actor Philip Michael Thomas for about the last uh, year and a half of Miami Vice. And uh, Philip was insistent that I incorporate a company and uh, start uh, becoming an entrepreneur. He, He would like hear nothing else behind it. So I would go out to the set. I was general manager. He had a theater called the Miami Way Theater. And I would go out to the set at a different point and visit him on the set. And the vice sets were always really cool and fly and a lot of fun. And uh, he would ask me uh, periodically, have you incorporated the company yet? Have you incorporated the company? He said, listen, I'm giving you my accountant. I'm giving you my, my attorney. You got you to gotta do this. So <laughs> one time I went out to the set. He said, have you incorporated yet? And I said, no, nah, I'm not around to it. He said, all right, well, don't come out to the set anymore until you incorporate <laughs> your business. So I had always been uh, entrepreneurially minded. I started producing concerts in college at Trump University uh, around 84, 85. And so I worked for the city of Atlanta for their jazz festival. 
and then was at Miami doing uh, jazz concerts at, at Phillips Theater. Uh, we had the great Sun Rock come down there, Sonny Forge and number other jazz legends. So uh, that got me into it. And uh, one day, uh, one of the guests who was on the Convention of Visitors Bureau came to for one of the concerts and asked me if I w- was open to me. Uh, the uh, tourist board folks in Aruba, and they had a festival which was going into a third year called the Aruba Jazz and Latin Music Festival. Ended up going out to Miami, long story short. I got the contract in 89 that produced the 90 to 92 Aruba Jazz Festivals and then started a festival in St. Lucia in 92, which I ended up producing for about 24 years. That kind of really formally got me on the path. And uh, Trinidad Pan Jazz Festival, Barbados Painted Jazz Festival. Uh, let's see. Uh, Cayman Islands, Turks and Caicos, Anguilla, uh, toured the Fugees, toured Gloria Estefan, toured Went Marcellus, toured uh, uh, Santana, Herbie Hancock, all throughout the Caribbean, wow. and that kind of got me. And then I started my relationship with Black Entertainment Television as well. In 91, they came down and shot the Aruba Festival, and the next year kind of really formalized with the, uh, formalized with the uh, St. Lucia Jazz Festival, and... And then we started a show called Caribbean Rhythms, which shot across the islands. I remember. And uh, that was the first show of its kind that was uh, broadcast weekly in the U.S. on cable uh, of Caribbean content uh, being on. And uh, that was a really special, special time in life and uh, got off to change, change my whole life and kind of really opened up a lot of doors and really started to grow from there. And I ended up joining BT as an executive in uh, the beginning of 99 and uh, had a uh, long run both at Black Entertainment Television and Viacom, which purchased it. And I sold my production company to Bob Johnson as well the year prior to BET wow. by Viacom. Well, congratulations. Thank but you. I'm not going to leave you off the hook. You need to give us the nuggets behind that transaction. How does that come about? And what were the overall terms? Because, you know, for every entrepreneur, effectively the chance to give birth to a business and sell it or doing an IPO is similar to the actor that gets his movie on the big screen. So what is that path? In, in my opinion, the core of any really successful transaction that happens is always relationships and being able to find like-minded partners who have a passion uh, as you do for a event production adventure. And uh, I got to know Bob in uh, 91, actually 92, uh, when he came down to St. Lucia when we started the festival. And he came down for about three or four years in a row to the festival. And Bob at the time was 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 certainly one of the top entrepreneurs, uh, African Af- entrepreneurs, period, but certainly African-American entrepreneurs in the United States or the world, if you will. And uh, I built my relationship with him, ended up pitching him the show, uh, Caravan Rhythms, along with a guy named Alan Chastanay, who was then director of tourism in St. Lucia, and then ended up uh, becoming minister of tourism and prime minister of the country for a number of years. So we pitched him the show, uh, ended up uh, marrying the host of the show, uh, Rachel. That's that, and, that question uh, was going to uh, come. Right. <laughs> so, uh, that's been truly one of the greatest blessings of my life. And, uh, three children later, you know, uh, blessed, uh, beyond words there. 
So, uh, but as far as the, the venture itself, uh, Bob got to know me. I got to know him at the time I was producing about three festivals. It was Aruba, St. Lucia and Trinidad at the time. I think we were doing about three festivals when I met Bob and, uh, just both kind of had a nice attraction. He, he thought that I was a solid young entrepreneur on the way up. He had a very uh, solid love for jazz music and live music overall. And BET was at the time, BET was the only black brand on, on, uh, there was black radio, but there was no black television other than BT at the time. Now there's a number of offerings. So as far as the deal itself, uh, I was, a it was in my thirties at the time and, uh, was learning a lot about kind of broader business and not just purely bootstrap entrepreneurialism. And uh, when Bob first offered me the opportunity to to uh, buy buy my business, uh, he made a cash offer, and I I actually turned it down and right. said I've got more than that saved. Thankfully, which uh, taught me a lot early on. My guru, by the way, is uh, Napoleon Hill who wrote the book, Thinking for a Rich. And I started reading that at 17 years old and that really changed my life. So uh, one of the principles of it is savings. And uh, fortunately I had saved up a pretty good chunk of money as a young person. And uh, when he made me the initial offer, I passed on it. We kept talking, the friendship was there. And then he came back and offered me, when, it, when I joined the Jazz Channel as the general manager, a year later he came back and offered me twice as much cash and stock options. And I didn't really know what stock options were at the time. And I was like, well, can I, can I sell them or, or use them? He's like, no, 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 right. Not right now. Cause the company's private, but they're, they're, I assure you they're worth, they're worth a lot. So a year later, Viacom purchased BT. Wow. And I really found out what stock options were at the time. And it ended up kind of uh, becoming a game changer in my life. And that was my life before the uh, BT purchase or by Viacom and my life after that. So wow. that turned a corner for me and really fulfilled a number of goals that were really important to me that I was in the process of building and it was a game changer for me. That's phenomenal. Now I do notice some uh, point of similarities between you and your friend Bob because when that deal happened, the next thing he did to go buy a basketball team which he eventually sold again to Michael Jordan. Somehow he's just finding some good entry point and exit point. And you, strangely enough, went from uh, entertainment, music, and then sports. So how does a common thread come about? Actually, it's all entertainment to Correct. some degree. Like, I mean, Correct. athletes, the greatest athletes have become pretty phenomenal entertainers as well. Collect. And uh, also have a solid, the, the original person to me who crossed over was Muhammad Ali, who actually recorded it, recorded a lot of poetry and uh, did music as well and did acting. So as a kid, that was my ultimate hero was wow. Muhammad Ali. Wow. So, uh, and then I developed friendships with, to me, uh, great entrepreneurs in their own right who did it all. So Harry Belafonte has been a father to me and a mentor to me since uh, 92, and the other person was Clarence Avant, uh, who's referred to as a black godfather, and I met Clarence in 91. Clarence in 91, Harry in 92, and Bob Johnson in 92. So three great entrepreneurs in their own right, and 
towering figures to me in, in American history and certainly African-American history. So I met all of them as a young person and all of them uh, played a very significant role in my life. What a blessing. And uh, in sport, obviously, they say every time you emulate, sometimes you get a chance to do something even greater. So obviously, Bob seems to have limited himself to basketball. You seem to have developed a <laughs> voluptuous appetite. So now tell us about your little sports empire. Because, you know, you see these rings. I mean, these rings are just... Just kind of I'm run seeing, across them. <laughs> I'm seeing two massive rings. Tell us the story about the rings. So uh, actually, I didn't bring the third today, but I actually have a third. My my first uh, my first foray into sports was an opportunity, uh, and it the an often asked question was how I got into baseball, which was my first uh, entry point, which is in 2006. And my dentist, uh, Dr. Ronnie Rosenberg, introduced me to the Lerner family. So I tell people. Uh, relationships for everything. Always be nice to your dentist. Not only is it in your mouth, but it could end up becoming a part of your life as well. So uh, I met uh, Dr. Rosenberg, who did my teeth, and he introduced me to Learner Family. And that's how I got into the relationship with Learner Family, which ended up eventually we were successful in purchasing the Washington Nationals Baseball Club from uh, Major League Baseball. 2006, that's like a full, like, 17 years ago. You know, yeah. everybody's talking about black ownerships of teams today. Mm-hmm. You are trying to break that ceiling today. Like almost two decades ago, you and a few and Bob were already in that territory. Mm-hmm. How did it feel at that time? It was a historic opportunity and one that I will treasure. Uh, you can, I'm, I'm sure you can relate to this from the perspective of something that comes along in your life that almost seems... Uh, too good to be true and almost unreal. And you're careful on how much you wish for it because, uh, because you might, you might spook it a little bit, you know, and, uh, you know, turn it to kind of something that, so I, uh, I, we started the process in uh, early 2006 and we're successful in completing the transition in May is when the announcement was made for us that, that our group was, was the, uh, winning team, if you will. And throughout that whole time frame, it was just kind of literally pins and needles. And uh, you're hoping so much, but you're trying not to hope or wish too much for it because you don't want to blow it. Uh, but uh, there was, uh, it, yeah, it was it was one of the most amazing experiences in my life to to be able to be a part of that. And then when we purchased the team, we were we were it was the Montreal Expos who had been kind of a per- perennial doormat, and so uh, part of what the Lerner family and Stan Casting, who's now present part owner of the of the Dodgers uh, pushed from the beginning was building a winning culture. So we we purchased the team in 06. We won the 2012 and 2013 National League East. And then we came back and won the National League East again in 16 and 17. And then in 18, uh, didn't make the playoffs. And then in 18, we became the wildcard team. And uh, that was enough to kind of really get us all the way through to win the World Series. I mean, it was wow. interesting in which that. Which year? What's that? Which year? 2019. Um, 2019. In 2015, uh, there's a businessman in Washington called Mark Ian who gave me the opportunity to join with him with the Washington Castles, which is World Team Tennis. 
And uh, we won the uh, sixth championship. It was the fifth in a row of, they won five or six championships over a six-year span of time or seven-year span of time. And and I was there for the last championship in 2015, and that was my first Jostens ring which uh, Jostens makes the NBA championship rings, most of the NCAA rings, and make the Super Bowl rings and the MLB World Series rings. So uh, that was my first taste was in 2015 to be a part of an ownership group that won a championship. And I was already a part of the, the, uh, the Lerner family and the art group that, won, that, that had the baseball uh, team, but 2015 was my first championship ring. So I got a taste of championships in 2015 then in 2019, we won the World Series. Yeah. And then in, in uh, 2020, a businessman named Steve Baldwin in the metro D.C. area uh, approached me about the opportunity to join the ownership group for the Washington Spirit, which is the National Women's Soccer League. And uh, we, we, I joined in 2020. In 2021, we won the National Women's Soccer League championship. And that was my third ring of, of the bunch. So... Uh, odd years are my great years. Anybody out there, you included, <laughs> available in an odd year. This may be the rank for the Cape Town Tigers. So. Yeah, exactly. No yeah, way. odd years. Odd years have been my fortunate <laughs> years for it. So, uh, I, relationships are. I mentioned a little bit earlier as far as like the key for me on on things and uh, like I, I think good people attract each other. Absolutely. And good energy. Uh, good energy attracts good energy and. I've been fortunate enough to be a part of uh, good people and good re- building good relationships. And I like to think that like that winning culture spirit that I certainly have been gifted with it from being around people, learning from people who, who build, who build uh, championships. And that's been part of the success and fortune of my that's, life. That's remarkable. All I'm, I told my business partners when we had the great honor welcome you in the ownership group was the great thing about Paxson. Not only is smart, connected, but he has an infection. He just wins. So let's get him in. He's going to give us a ring. So we are welcoming this condition you have. We don't know which year, but you just need to diffuse it in Cape Town Tigers. So really, really happy to, to have you in the Cape Town Tigers, which now is basically what, your fourth or fifth sports team? It will be my fourth. The fourth sports team. Yeah, fourth sports team. It's beautiful to see people take this passion that a lot of us have and turn it on the business side. Like you have uh, so done so in such a spectacular fashion. And you will observe that now institutions, not individuals like you and I, are basically coming from the massive private equity industry and allocating billions of dollars in it. Now, I'm sure you've been seeing the frenzy. You've seen the valuations increase. Obviously, you've been on the nice side of the, the <laughs> receiving end of this. Yeah. What do you think triggers the... the it, it's live. The steroids. It's like, live. It's live. It's live. And... You, it's live and much like, so sports are live there in their moment. The other thing that on television that comes close to it would be like award shows, like on something happening in that very same moment that's, that, that happens, that grist of something special. 
And if you've missed it, you can't wait to kind of go back and try to see if you see it. But if you actually are there or you're watching it live, it gives you something special to talk about the next day. And you actually, you were watching that game, right? While it was actually happening. And you can talk about it real time. And it feels like it's something, a special little gem that you possess yourself. Others don't. Right. And others don't because they weren't there. And so uh, television is one thing. It's certainly, I mean, it's coming to its own and blossoming as to how many different cam- camera angles that you get on something. But if you were there in person, it's like, you know, you actually own that moment and it's something overwhelmingly special. When you have like, you know, Kobe's last game of the season or like those special moments in championships, think about the scalping that goes on ticket prices, like something that's on the face value, maybe $300 or $400, but that thing is going for three to $10,000 or sometimes even higher. Like for like, if you got courtside, you pay $100,000 for, for a ticket. So being on the ownership side of that is like nothing short of miraculous. Like when, when I was in Houston, when we won game seven of the World Series, it, I mean, it felt like your heart was just sort of just kind of like pound. It felt so overwhelmingly special. There are those moments in life, like your children being born or something like that, where it's just, they're so overwhelmingly special that you will cherish that exact moment for the rest of your life. I think sports gives you that opportunity and ownership even more because it's like, you know, you help put that winning group together on the field. You help bring the fabric together. And, and the, in my opinion, the successful owners imbue a spirit of not just the people that are on the court, but the ownership team and the ownership group where they're thinking about the venue, the employees that are inside the venue, the spirit of, of what it is. And as a consumer, you can feel that inside of an organization if if the organization gets that right, uh, that special formula, that that little extra elixir that other people don't have. I think that a winning uh, a winning organization is not just what's on the floor, but it's the whole organization and everybody kind of buying into that. That's the magic elixir to me on a championship organization, and I believe we had that in Washington. And what makes you select or accept an invitation beyond the relationship component? Because I'm sure that you've received, you continue to receive invitation, you've become a name or brand in that segment. So what would you say are criteria that tells you, I think I'm going to do this one and not this one? Is there a set of things you run away from? And is there a sort of thing you run towards? Yes. So the one would be the market opportunity, the the location of the the city where the where the team is. That's certainly one of them. And and the opportunity for the team itself to grow, as as you do when you talk about portfolio opportunities. If you look at investments, you you look at if something is kind of trading or uh, at a high, and what the room is to grow it on the other side of it. So if you can purchase uh, one of one of um, Bob Johnson's old adages was uh, buy low and sell high, <laughs> something that fundamental. The other, what, the relationship part to me though is cr- crucial on, if you're buying into a group, you're buying as much, you're buying the group of people, you're buying into that group of people uh, yeah. and you have to believe in their like-minded vision and ask like, you know, do uh, I kind of get along with it? One of the things we didn't talk about that that I'm an investor in as well is art and also memorabilia. And for me, I started, uh, Harry Belafonte actually really got me into it. I kind of started it, 
But when I went over to Harry's house in 92 and really saw all the memorabilia that he had, which is just an incredible collection, memorabilia that really fully baked my appetite for it. And with, with art and memorabilia, to me, you buy pieces that you like. You buy pieces that you want to keep over time and things that you truly feel passionate about that speak to you. And uh, if you do that, you'll you, even if the value doesn't go up as high as you might think it you will, get the satisfaction. you still have something that you love and uh-huh. something that like that's on your wall that speaks to you versus kind of a, a, a clean wall of something. So sports to me is not that much different of uh, buying into things that you like, but buying into it with people who you like and appreciate and who have a shared passion and a shared uh, vision. Uh, you and I, when we met that night, uh, uh, you know, a mutual friend introduced us and we had never met each other before. We, we were born on two different continents away from it. And when you first started talking about what you were doing, I felt the passion from you and uh, the energy that was inside your heart. Literally, we had never met each other. Correct. Both of them on two different Correct. continents. Correct. But it's it's something that spoke to me and something that I felt passionate about. I listened to your passion it touched the passion inside of me. And I was like, wow, let me let me uh, get to know this brother a little bit better and uh, see if there's uh, some things that we can do with each other. And one absolutely. thing led to another. Here we are in New York City together and have made the decision to be business partners with each absolutely. other. So it uh, is relationships to me. And then you add in the other things to it. And hopefully without, you know, without any humor whatsoever, I'm looking to be a part of your group and looking to build a championship culture. Where do you think we are headed as a group of black people within all that movement because you're one of the rare individuals that actually have found a way to find your anchor, your signature in the U.S. You created a bridge to the Caribbean. Uh And then you extended also your bridge to Africa. And I know that the Cape Town Tigers is not your first foray in the continent. What advice would you give to the black diaspora and to the brothers here about what is, what is pertinent mm-hmm. to pay attention to? So I'll start with the root of it from the perspective of developing your own uh, authenticity with inside yourself of kind of becoming your own original starting with the roots of, of what makes you new, your own personal DNA and learning to celebrate that and learning not to be ashamed of it in any way. So then now uh, challenging yourself, like for me, like reading the Agabee's autobiography of Malcolm X, Malcolm X went to uh, Egypt, Malcolm X went throughout Africa. And I remember just feeling like the specialness of it. And I never bought into uh, the Tarzan thing of like that Africa was just jungles and stuff. I never bought into that as a child. I and mean, I always tell and people it's always strange that Tarzan will come to Africa. The animals don't talk to the Africans, but they speak to Tarzan. Right, right. The foreign. Right, right. So, so I never bought into that. I never did. And and to me, it was the 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 challenge and the thought of it. And and once I got to the Caribbean in the. Uh, and I think my first trip to the Bahamas was in uh, 1989. And I saw like a black prime minister and I started to kind of like see it. I was 28 years old and I was like, wow, you know, black people can run countries. Black people can be in charge of the police force and you're not 
targeted because you're black. And whereas it was the opposite of that, as a young person being raised in the 60s, there were so many things that were kind of uh, convinced against you or just kind of contriving to be against you. So when I actually started to travel and actually see that, the Caribbean gave me my first opportunity to see that. Uh, my first trip to Africa was in 2000 uh, when I went to South Africa. I've been to South Africa about eight times now. And then I started going to Ghana in around 2002, uh, 2001, 2002. And in South Africa, ended up uh, producing the festival that took place in Durban. And, and then in Ghana, in Accra and Cape Coast, and that just like for me, once I actually got to Africa and it, I felt so much more welcome and at home to help me to live better in the United States, to actually see uh, a lot of the positive things that were going on in Africa to me, which then kind of convinced me for what I had studied in the 80s at Temple University, that it was true that black people do live better. Sure, there's poverty everywhere. There's poverty here in the United States. And so there's poverty in Africa. There's poverty in India. I've had the chance now to travel the whole of the world and you find poverty everywhere. Mm. It's not just any one, you know, real location. Mm. And poverty has been historic throughout all of history. <laughs> There's been poverty. So to brand that to Africa or brand that to other third world countries is absolutely positively wrong. So uh, I started to see more. And to me, the Caribbean opened the door for me for Africa. It's been uh, a life-changing experience for me. So for the opportunity to join with you and to be able to start to invest in something that can be ongoing is, is a blessing to me. Uh, literally you, like there's a point of pride of, of Absolutely. inside of that, that, so to, to ask you a piece though of like the advice part, it, it would be to kind of open your mind and, uh, not just think about things that are here, but being willing to open your mind to uh, be willing to take chances and to invest in other countries and in both from a, just a purely economical point of view from real estate that you mentioned to private equity, to, uh, to sports, to art. I started collecting Caribbean art in the nineties. I started collecting African art in the two thousands. And so to be, to be willing to take those chances and not constrain yourself to thinking that, everything here in the United States is, is all of what that is, but to really challenge yourself to kind of go beyond it. So, uh, I, my challenge would be for entrepreneurs, uh, young people, men and women or women and men from an entrepreneur uh, and other, uh, from an entrepreneur perspective to think beyond just what you see and don't limit your thoughts to just what you see, but kind of really close your eyes and, uh, see, see beyond that. Stevie Wonder, uh, I had the honor of working with Stevie in 2012 and produced the uh, United Nations Day uh, with Stevie in 2012. And he said to me one time that, uh, you know, he said, he said, Paxton, I don't see color. Okay. And let that kind of sink in for a minute. It made sense. And, you know, he said, I see the content of people's character. So Dr. King's, you know, made statements kind of along those, those pieces. And so uh, things reveal themselves. But to me, it's, it's like it's up to the person to kind of close their eyes and really see beyond the circumstances that, that you're in and challenge yourself to kind of go beyond it. So to be open to build friendships and relationships with someone like yourself who's from a whole different continent, a different country inside that continent, and to be open to that and take those chances, uh, it will open up a world of opportunity for you. 
that, that you don't necessarily see. So that ownership point, since you love Malcolm X, made me think of a quote, and I think you would appreciate. He said in 1961 in an interview that when you own something, it fulfills you with dignity. When you hope to get a chance to participate in something that someone else owns and expect to have similar right to that owner, that's not dignity, that's ignorance. And it's very important with what you say today to highlight that because he was saying that in 1961. Ah, okay. And people tend to forget the importance of ownership of things that speak to you and that belong to you, or that at least is not part of, it's not you coming into someone else territory. And you have really demonstrated that, that you actually have gone to as many territory to find your you, your ownership within different terms. A hundred percent. Yes, on that one. I would be remiss though, if, if I didn't mention, uh, one of the most critical components of my life and that is volunteerism that, uh, I've learned that from my mother. I certainly learned that from Napoleon Hill of, uh, of volunteerism, of, of the spirit of giving, um, above and beyond yourself and sharing with others the blessings that you've had within your own life. And had I not have volunteered and started doing that at a very young age, I would not have become who I became. And volunteerism has an interesting component to it that most people never even fully grasp. And also donating to charity has the same component to it. There's a, there's a special thing when you donate to charity that you, you convince yourself subconsciously that you have enough to share. And it's a, it's a, a quiet convincing factor within yourself that if I have enough to share, I have more than what I actually need myself. And I can share of my wealth. I can share of my riches. I can share, of, I can share the things that I have. And I don't have to, I'm not like worrying about what enough I have for myself. You convince yourself when you share, you convince yourself when you give, when you're charitable, that you actually have enough. You convince yourself with, within that action that you actually have enough to share. So, uh, you know, some people might call it tithing or otherwise, but it's, it's a, that's a factor. I will ask one last question. Okay. The musician has to play music. The painter has to paint. The artist has to make art. What is that? That Paxton needs to do to be, if you had to summarize it. Well, I, I would certainly say to be myself, like literally uh, for that. And uh, part of my blessing in, in my life has been, I've been able to help musicians. I've, I've literally have produced music around the whole of the world. And more often than not, they manifest as music festivals. So I've produced music festivals around the world. And I've also produced award shows as well. Uh, 
uh, back in the early 2000s, I helped uh, produce it, put together and get distributed the Cora Awards, which were in South Africa wow. uh, for nine yep. years, uh, which was the, the was African amazing. Grammys. It was amazing. Right, amazing. right. And that's when I met uh, 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 President Mandela. Wow. Uh, I met him uh, twice in South Africa and once in the Caribbean. I was able to spend uh, an afternoon with him and a number amazing of guy. Prime, prime ministers. An amazing memory. He was the chairman of the fund where I used to work and we do board meeting. Whether he was briefed or he was naturally solid with memory, she would remember what you guys discussed 12 months back. And it was very strange for a young guy. Right. To think he had that level of grasp. You think, right. But he leaves you like with that feeling like, oh, yeah. wow. I'm, I'm special, special in the meantime. Right. For sure. I would have never dreamed like some of, these, some, of the, some of the things that I've been able to accomplish and some of the people that I've met in my wildest dreams as a young person, I would have never thought that I would have had the chance to, to meet like, you know, President Mandela, to build a meaningful friendship with uh, Harry Belafonte, with Clarence Avant, with, um, I met John Johnson, uh, founder of, of uh, Jet Magazine to work with Stevie Wonder, to work with Earth, Wind & Fire, like all of my heroes musically, Dionne Warwick, the Isaac Brothers, uh, like to produce them to present them at the concert. So for me, it's like after a while, after I started to, to be fortunate enough to do so many different things, I stopped limiting myself into thinking kind of like what could be accomplished and what could be done. And so like that Paxton part, just I mean, literally just great fortune. And so I've been able to help musicians. I've, I've brought uh, athletes to different parts of the Caribbean at different parts of the world uh, to do clinics with uh, young people. And so the musician part, the artist, I mean, I've, I've worked with Leroy Clark in Trinidad, uh, Llewellyn Xavier in St. Lucia, uh, different artists, uh, different musicians around around the world. And so for me, mine has been, part of it has been uh, being a uh, kind of a, a world citizen, a cultural ambassador, and then the entrepreneur. My brother, this has been outstanding. Uh, do you have any, I mean, um, heart full of feelings, being your brother, being your partner, working with you. I think um, people like you leave the place only better. And we can only try to all emulate have you as a as a model to follow for the youth and uh, for our two parts of uh, the world's U.S. Africa to merge better? Any parting question for me? Well, uh, more so a thank you uh, than a question, and uh, thank you for thank you for opening up your heart to uh, give me the opportunity to work with you. And uh, just to let you know how much I appreciate it, uh, you may remember that I said to you that um, in addition to myself, I wanted to bring my son uh, yes. into the group. Yes. So, yes. Uh, you know, yes. like literally, uh, and then um, I plan on spreading the opportunities to those who I've been given to be a part of by way of friends and things like that. So it's more of a thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Silverbacks Valley. For more episodes around founders building dominant platforms from Africa to the rest of the world, you can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anjami, and Audiomac. Tune in.